Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the hemisphere-hopping podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, looking forward to Alien Day in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, finally stepping into the modern age with a new computer <laughs> down here in Melbourne, Australia. Ah, we focus on overlooked sci-fi, horror and fantasy films because we enjoy home invasions, immortal moody teenagers and bell-bottom trousers. Hello, Dan. Oh, do we? <laughs> Maybe the last thing. I'm not sure about the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, me neither. Although I've never worn bell-bottom trousers. Have you? Have you been to I've, a costume party? Well, I've worn, I've worn, you know, in the 90s, flared jeans was a big, big oh. craze. So I did, I wore some yeah. flared jeans. Um, God, the amount of jeans material we used to wear in the 90s, yeah. honestly. But so impractical <laughs> as well, because they were so long that they dragged along the ground. And so you had all yeah. these ripped, frayed ends on your trouser legs. And on yeah. rainy days, it just sucks all the water up like a sponge. So you've got these soggy, flappy, flared jeans <laughs> to walk around all day in. <laughs> Covered in mud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the things to look cool in the 90s. It'll come back. I'm sure it'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a new modern computer. Yes, yes, yes. I, I splashed out and got uh, the Mac Mini, uh, which is a, such an interesting sort of way of having a computer because it's just the hard drive pretty much and all the the brains of the computer. And so I've had to buy all the other bits. Um, so I, I do have a, a wireless keyboard now and a, a wireless mm. a mouse. And I had to buy a webcam as well. So I'm I'm now in HD where, where yes. previously I was in standard diff for like four years. So you were looking at me in this kind of <laughs> pixelated, grainy, gray blob. And now I'm, I'm in clear HD. You are. But n none the worse for it. If anything, you look even more handsome. So mm. no worries. I there. don't know. You can see all the wrinkle <laughs> lines, all my grey hairs now. Oh. <laughs> there aren't any wrinkles. There. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, you've been looking forward to Alien Day. Yes, which is next week. So by the time this episode comes out, it will be last week. But I was just really excited because my local multiplex is celebrating Alien Day, which is uh, April 26th, by showing the director's cut of Aliens. Okay. Which I have never seen projected. Ah, why, why is that date Alien Day? Well, it's a bit silly. So the alien planet, or the planet where they discover the alien eggs in any case, mm. is LV-426. So right. on April 26th... Uh. 
It's Alien Day, supposedly. It's pretty vague, but if it means I get to see Aliens yeah. in its extended form, mastered in 4K and projected on a massive screen, I'm there for mm, it. Mm, mm. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't recall having all these numerical days as a kid. No. <laughs> but suddenly no. there's so many of them. There's, you know, May the 4th, Star Wars Day. Uh, in the synth yep. world, um, 808 and 909, those corresponding <laughs> dates are also <laughs> important yeah, days. Yeah. Uh, and now Alien Day. Like, who's coming up yeah. with these? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's it's just internet hashtags. I think right. that's all it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We're just there constantly celebrating things. Well, why not? This <laughs> <Yes. laughs> is something to be happy about. <laughs> and yeah, it means I get to see aliens on the big screen for the first time in, God, decades. Mm, it'll be fun. Yeah. It will be fun. It will be. Yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. So, mm. Conrad, uh, anything in the mailbag today? Well, yes, and we have a new patron as well. So, hello to Oscar. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, great to have you supporting the show. Oh, hello. Yes. And we got a lot of reaction to you tweeting out a big stack of movies that you found recently yes is it all exclusively in swap shops that you find these um sometimes they're from sales so i did get a, a voucher for like a dvd type store so I, I took advantage of that and got a whole bunch of dvds and yeah you know i frequent uh like flea markets and thrift stores and you know, places that sell um, second-hand DVDs. I also, like, sometimes buy them off Marketplace as well, Facebook Marketplace. So, yeah, just, like, uh. gradually getting them, you know, oh, this could be a potential episode in the future. I mean, it's it's the stack is massive now. It's, it's, it's huge. It's just, <laughs> we could probably just not buy any more movies and just do the ones that we currently own. But well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I could just keep buying them. Yeah. I, I'm still thinking of our retirement when we're just going to be these old doddery guys in chairs watching all of these Blu-rays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On these outdated, you know, players. Everyone else is using <laughs> yeah. holograms or whatever and still got our yeah. Blu-rays and DVDs. <laughs> yeah, streaming it directly into their eyes or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> this grandpa with his Blu-ray player. <laughs> But yes, lots of people were picking out titles from the spines, um, sort of suggesting which ones we should cover. Dave said Soldier, the Kurt Russell movie, mm. worth watching for Kurt's performance, the action scenes and the Blade Runner Easter eggs peppered throughout the film. Because according to the writer, it's meant to be set in the same fictional universe. Mm, that's really intriguing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be keen to check that out. Yeah, I'd really like to watch that one again. I got it on a special edition Blu-ray from Germany quite recently, Ooh, okay. so that's in my stack as well. Right, right, right. Uh, Ashley B. picked out Needful Things. Stephen King adaptation is a good film, highly recommended. Mm, no one ever talks about that, that one. Um, and I, it no. is one of the few Stephen King uh, adaptations I have read. Um, so, oh, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't watched it since I was a teenager. So, yeah, another one I would be keen to revisit. Yeah, me too. And I'm particularly interested this year because they're going to release a new remastered disc of it. Oh. I don't know if it's going to be 4K, but it's going to be both versions of it. So the theatrical and a longer TV version as well. Oh, so that okay. could be interesting Ooh. to watch. Yeah. Yeah. 
Artycraft said the blood on Satan's claw is great if you like folk horror. It's several stories stitched together, but the atmosphere makes it work. Mm. The period drama sort of uh, setting really intrigues me. Mm. Um, And also, yeah, older folk horror, way more disturbing. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, rather than modern folk horror that tries to ape 70s sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so lots of intriguing titles picked out of your stack there, which was great. Mm. And in terms of comments on Vampire's Kiss, we of course heard from Surge of (laughs) Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Surge. Hello, Surge. And he said, I couldn't get into Vampire's Kiss until it dawned on me halfway through that he's not turning into a vampire. (laughs) Like... It went from a one-star film to a four-star film. Once I came down from Cage's performance, I'll have to watch it all the way through, this time with the right impression. I like to think this wasn't just me not paying attention. It takes at least half an hour to figure out what kind of rules the film is playing by. Mm. Anyway, this is why I think every movie plot summary should spoil everything up to the end of the first act. Right, 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 right. No, it's fun to see Serge go on that journey. Mm. Mm. Yes, Anybody else want to give us their impressions of Vampire's Kiss, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, yes. So, Dan, what will we be doing this time? Okay, I'll I'll go find out. Ah, I'm on a train today. Oh, that's a first. Bit noisy. Oh, this door's been locked. wonder what's in there. Oh, I think I see the film being grasped by a a hand. Hang on. (laughs) Okay, I've got it. Coming back. Okay. That wasn't that unpleasant. No, very nice. I like a long train ride. (laughs) So today I have with me uh, the 1977 horror drama um, from George A. Romero. It is Martin. Ooh. Yeah, one of the lesser seen Romero's. Yeah. What happens in it? Not a zombie film. Uh, it's uh, written mm. and directed by George A. M- Romero, and it stars, I'm going to pronounce these names wrong, but John Aplas, <laughs> Lincoln Mazel, Christine Forrest, L. Is it L. Yane? El- or maybe just Elaine. Elaine? Maybe. Elaine Nadal. The. The very talented Tom Savini, Sarah Venable, Francine Middleton, and Roger Kane. Mm. Interesting lineup. Yes. So in this film, it's uh, it's set in Pittsburgh, and it follows young Martin, recently moved in with his elderly cousin Kuda, who thinks he is Nosferatu reincarnated. (laughs) However, Martin refutes his cousin's claims yet struggles with his identity as a potential vampire casually drugging raping and killing women whilst also sucking Mm. their blood just your usual everyday coming of age story (laughs) he spends his days working at his cousin's shop befriends lonely housewife mrs santini who he begins an affair with and also makes frequent calls to a late night radio show revealing his vampiric exploits Mm. It's the graduate meets a clockwork orange meets maniac. It's George A. <laughs> Romero's Martin. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> I can't wait to get into this after the break. Yes. Yes. 
We're back to talk about Martin George A. Romero's personal favorite movie. Oh, is it? Yes, it's his personal favorite. It's not very well seen, however. It hasn't been distributed on DVD and Blu ray or on streaming services very often. And the reason that we have it is because we were very kindly given a copy of the new 4K remastered edition mm. by the British Blu-ray company Second Sight Films, which was really kind of them. So yeah. very grateful for the opportunity to see it mm. and in such fine form. Had you seen it before, Dan? No, no, never heard of it. Uh, in terms of Romero's oeuvre of films i have pretty much only seen as zombie films because mm. i mean they're the most famous the only other movie of his i've seen is the crazies from 1973 and i think he did a segment of creep show as well or did he write the whole thing i can't remember didn't he direct the whole first creep show movie Oh, okay. All the segments? I think he might have done, Oh, yeah. okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. Well, that's yeah. it. That's it. So this was quite different to all of that. Mm. So it wasn't the sort of schlocky, gory, fun horror, so to speak. This was much more serious in tone. It is, yes. And possibly more in line with what Romero really wanted to do with his career right he says it's his most personal film uh -huh. which is intriguing as a statement yeah i'm the same as you so this is a double blind mm. double blind it's really bad. My experience or exposure to Romero, much the same as you, is just the zombie movies and creep show. I tend to think of him, and this is probably horribly, horribly wrong, as the same as Toby Hooper, as in he made a groundbreaking, genre-defining, independent movie mm -hmm. right at the beginning of his career, and then was given studio assignments later, but none of them were really all that memorable. Mm. Maybe that's a bit cruel and reductive, but that just kind of feels like what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, I do I do feel like the, the zombie films are so iconic and mm. paved the way, single-handedly paved the way for the genre. And up until a point, I love most of them. Up until about Land of the Dead, I think was the last best one. After that, it's rehashing. Right. Okay. And Landed did kind of rehashing it a little bit as well. Yeah. But all the ones before, really, really fascinating. I love Day of the Dead. I think that movie's highly underrated. Yeah. But it is unfortunate that that's what he's known for. And he kept kind of having to go back to the same thing over and over again, the zombie thing again and again and again. And in between, he did these really interesting films that none of them I've seen. Mm. They all sound really fascinating and yeah this is one of them it's i was quite surprised this movie comes across as very art housey mm. which i did not expect from romero me neither but again i've not seen anything he did in between night of the living dead and dawn of the dead which put him back on the map and it, that's a fantastic movie mm. so there's there's always vanilla season of the witch and the crazies which you have seen i have seen none of which were particularly successful 
and then you get Martin. Mm. It does feel similar to Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead in the sense that it has a strong sense that it's engaging with many, many themes at the same time. Mm. Yeah, Putting an old genre in a new setting and seeing mm-hmm. how that plays mm-hmm. out. And you've also got this, I mean, the town of Braddock in Pittsburgh it's a cliche to say it's a, another character in the film, but the setting, mm. run-down, rust-belt, immigrant ghetto that's definitely seen better times, contrasted with the suburbs that Martin is raiding for his nocturnal activities. Mm. So he's sort of vampirically preying upon the suburbs from the immigrant ghetto, and the corporations have sort of destroyed this town through greed as well. So there, he seems to have this sort of social commentary bubbling along in the background, which always happened in the best of his movies. Mm. But this time with more of a focus on a character study yeah. than I think I've seen in his previous films. Yeah, yeah, this is mainly a drama, uh, mainly it's sort of a coming-of-age story of this... Mm. Is he a teenager or is he early 20s? I can't figure it out. Yeah, one um, of the two. Dealing with his adolescence and, and like going through puberty and, you know, wanting to have sex with women and but also not dealing with... So there is a father figure of his elderly cousin. I don't know how that works, but he's like... <laughs> 60 and above, it seems, but it's his cousin. And his cousin's granddaughter, she's still older than Martin. And so those two characters are kind of the father and mother figure to Martin. Mm. For some reason, Kuda, the cousin, thinks he's a vampire. He thinks he's Nosferatu. I don't know why. No idea why. And, and it's supposed and, to be the family yeah. curse, isn't it? There's this whole because yeah. their family roots are Eastern European, and they just seem to have brought this whole family curse with them. Which Christina, the granddaughter, is always questioning, rubbishing, and yeah. her concern is that this ridiculous belief has scarred Martin, who is kind of played as. Almost like he's um, developmentally challenged. Yeah. He's very innocent anyway. Yeah. Very innocent. I mean, his character is very... I I did quite relate to it because I was a very shy boy growing up. I didn't talk very much and people thought I was strange because of it. You Mm. know, not being social, not having confidence to talk. So that did relate to me Mm. and being treated as an outcast not having that many friends. Like, that was quite relatable. It was interesting, though, because his cousin, Kuda, kept calling him a vampire. He had, like, bundles of garlic on doors and crosses (laughs) everywhere. At the same time, he was killing women and sucking their blood. Yes. So... And raping them, I think. Yeah. If uh, if he didn't want to be called a vampire, maybe don't do that. Yeah. And... (laughs) I don't know. It's it's quite odd. Well, he believes he is as well, though, doesn't he? Martin believes that he is a vampire too. Kind. Of, I I think he's at odds with that because he he's trying. He's constantly trying to prove to Kuda that he's not a vampire. Magic doesn't exist. This is not a thing. But at the same time, he's calling this radio show and revealing everything to this talk show host on on this radio late night radio show about how he's you know a vampire. He can't stop his urges, preying on women and having sex with unconscious women. Uh, yeah, 
raping them, terrible. So, I mean, that is very much about growing up as an adolescent. You're, you're kind of torn between opposing forces often. Yeah, so at the same time as being an adolescent who is sort of hesitant about sex and unsure about his own body, like he talks about being too shy to have sex with somebody who's awake. Mm, so his yeah. modus operandi is to inject his victims so that they fall asleep and then yes. he strips them naked presumably has sex with them they don't show it mm. and drinks their blood and then stages them to look like a suicide yeah i wonder whether he just rationalizes it to himself because he's told that he is a vampire because of this family curse and he's been passed from one family member to another mm. who has this responsibility to look after him because he'll never age or whatever yes and he's completely bought in on that he says that he's 84 years old he says he's a vampire, but he mm. says that all of the magic isn't real. He's sort of a modern-day vampire. Yeah. I think he does believe that he is one. Right. But I think he's just rationalising his... He's essentially, he's a serial killer, so he's well, just yes, he's yes. rationalising it. Yeah, and, and kind of justifying it as being, I guess, a metaphor for, like, puberty or, like, you know, growing up, maturing and into adulthood yeah like that sort of drama aspect of it was it was quite complex and it was quite fleshed out it did remind me more of drama films like your favorite movie ordinary people mm. and also his uh affair with uh, mrs santini very similar to the graduate sort of coming to terms with sexuality and and becoming a man essentially yeah which also causes him to stop victimizing women he suddenly finds that he can't pick a victim mm. and he ends up attacking a homeless man instead yes to satisfy his bloodlust he actually says on the dialogue he's or to the late night host maybe it's because i'm mm. i'm doing mm. the sexy stuff now as he calls it yes um <laughs> it reminded me a lot oddly enough of the netflix show dharma i don't know if you watched that i haven't seen that yet no which again and i don't know how accurate this is it depicts Dharma as someone who found it very difficult to have a physical relationship with a live person. Mm. So you see him taking mannequins home from the store that he works at so that he can have a sexual relationship with a mannequin. Right. And then he graduates to people. And you get to the point in the Dharma show where he actually has a physical relationship with a man and they're really good fit for each other. And you're mm. kind of hoping that this will sort him out, even though... You really shouldn't be wanting this guy to get away with what he's done. Yeah, but for yeah, some yeah. reason, you're still rooting for him. You're sort of like, oh, I really hope this relationship works out so he stops killing people. And then <laughs> it all goes horribly wrong again. Yeah, right. So it's kind of a fascinating psychological examination of a serial killer as well. Mm, mm, and with mm. a very sympathetic lead character, because John Amplaz is so good in the lead role. Yeah. But you really shouldn't be all that sympathetic towards martin should you really i didn't feel any sympathy towards him to be honest you didn't i didn't think he was likable ah. purely from the killings they were horrible yes and especially in that sort of home invasion one he seems to get actual glee from terrorizing these people he's running around he's like playing with the phone he's locking doors and you know it's like a, a cat and mouse game for him mm. and so it's not like he's trying to hold back his urges like he's actually having fun with this mm. and that's not i don't know 
it's unnerving. Like I, I found his character very unnerving and not, yeah, not very likable. Right. See, I've always had a thing for serial killers. It's not good. <laughs> Characters like Tom Ripley, and Tom Ripley is a sociopathic killer, but for some reason, I find him quite sympathetic, which probably says a lot more about me. Yeah, I do. I do like Tom Ripley and intelligent Mister Ripley. I thought mm. that Matt Damon character was really interesting in the fact that he just wanted to be liked, and he was trying to be a good person. Yeah. Whereas I don't know whether. Martin is trying to be a good person. That's I don't true. Know. I, th- I I feel like he's a selfish character. I think he he's always doing things for himself, and when things don't go his way, he blames other people. Yeah, I don't know. I it's a it's complex character. It is. It's it's not black and white whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's not. And it, and in a way, I've been lured in in the same way that all the bored housewives are because they see him. He's youthful. He's quiet. Mm they mistake him for something that he's not. So the housewife that he has a relationship with says, oh, you're so relaxing to be around because you don't have any opinions. Yeah. But he has loads of opinions. He does. And they're not flattering. No. He doesn't think well of the people that he's preying upon no, at all. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. No. Yeah, he is a complex character and perhaps I'm being lured in yeah. by his apparent youth and innocence when, yeah, he's not youthful and innocent, really. And also, he's not preying on, like, criminals. You know, often with movies where, you, where you're following a protagonist that is killing people, is a murderer... Maniac is one that I, I think of. Yeah. But they're kind of preying on evil characters. Mm. So it's kind of justified. Whereas Martin's not preying on evil people. These are nice women. Desperate people, yeah. Yeah. And, and only at the end with the homeless man is, is yeah, is a, sort of a destitute person. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't, I can't sympathize with that. I can't. I really can't. No. But it does remind me of other movies where you're following the protagonist as the main character, but they're a serial killer. So, yeah, Maniac, uh, A Clockwork Orange uh, is, is similar. I, I don't think he kills... Does he? He does kill someone in that movie. He's certainly in a gang that kills people. I haven't yes. seen it for a long time. Yeah, but then you've got other movies uh, like The House at Jack Bolt mm. and American Psycho um, and um, Driller Killer I've, I've watched recently, which mm. was a interesting movie. I can see why it's talked about it's not a nice movie to watch no i'm sure (laughs) yeah but i mean talking about the murder aspect of this movie martin i don't know what it is with 70s depictions of murder it's it's horrible yes to witness what makes this particularly gruesome is just how mundane and awkward and long-winded and difficult it is. Yeah. It reminded me very much of a Christoph Kozlowski film that I really like, a short film about killing. Right. Which doesn't glamorize murder. It isn't sort of the flashy, exciting, cathartic, action packed sort of thing, mm. or exploitative in a way that's sort of designed for the audience to get off on in some way. Yeah. From the very first scene where he's preying upon that woman on the train. One of the things I really love is the comparison between the black and white fantasy that I think Uh Martin is having. You know, he opens the door and it cuts to black and white. Yes. 
And there's this beautiful woman with her hair blowing in the wind, sort of beckoning him, yeah. accompanied by an operatic voice on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in reality, she's in this ugly green nightdress with like cream on her face and her hair pinned up. And she's emerging from the toilet, blowing her nose. Yeah. And what happens just seems to take forever. And it's it's a sort of awkward and difficult mm. you know it stops and starts and she's asking him what he's doing and yeah it's yeah. not pleasant to watch no. at all no and it, it's quite clumsy as well like yes all of his his kills are not they don't go the way he plans them they're always a little bit oh this is not working yeah <laughs> like in, in the second one where it's like the house invasion and he he thinks she's alone at home but she's got a a guy around that she's having an affair with. So yeah. he turns up and, and it's just, the struggles are, it's almost like they're not choreographed at all. It, it's very clunky and people fall over in the wrong places. And and also how he kills the people is, it's it, I guess it's central. There is a lot of almost like fetishizing, like the needle as well. There's lots of close-ups mm. of the needle and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it is really unsettling to watch. Yeah, and brutal. Yes, there's something about the gritty reality of it that makes it really uncomfortable mm. and unpleasant to watch. Yes, I find this more horrifying than Romero's zombie movies. Yeah, but I mean, I think it is verging on. I mean, it is exploitation, really. Mm. It's not as flashy and like sexualized as like Jala films, where you've got you know the close up of the blade and then boobs and then i i it, it's not like that but it kind of is like i don't think any woman would enjoy watching this movie no it's not nice to woman no not at all <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> You did mention the black and white flashes. Like, so they're idealized fantasies of what's happening, I guess. Because some of them almost felt like flashbacks. Yes. Am I wrong there? No, it seems to serve two functions. I mean, that particular instance where he opens the carriage and the train and he imagines the woman in a very different way than she actually is, mm. is very different from all of the other ones because all of the other ones seem to be flashbacks to a previous experience of martin's because he has yeah shorter hair and it seems to be a different time period like the old country where he's come from because mm. particularly there's a sequence where kuda has arranged for him to be exorcised by a priest mm. and they go through the rite of exorcism and that is juxtaposed with the same thing happening to him so you've got one ritual happening in english and one happening in latin in two different time periods mm. and they're both playing at once on the soundtrack and it's a really interesting montage and in both cases he just runs away at the end yeah. of it. it doesn't seem to have any effect at all so yeah it seems to be on the one hand a flashback and on the other hand a fantasy of his it sort of undermines the credibility of the flashbacks because has he really lived 84 years and still looked the same yeah or yeah. not romero's been very clear in the script it says when it introduces the character uh -huh. it says martin is either an 84 year old vampire or 
an 18-year-old serial killer. Right. Psychotic, yeah. The script sort of has its cake and eats it. Mm, it's, okay. It doesn't make that clear. Right. But Romero says he always thinks that none of the magic is real and Martin is just sick. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I got that. Yeah. Uh, very similar uh, sort of premise to Vampire's Kiss. Yes. Where um, Nick Cage's character really thinks he's turning into a vampire, but he definitely isn't. No. Definitely not. And both have scenes in which they prance about in fake teeth. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and they both end funny. virtually the same as well. Which yeah. is kind of I was That's quite surprised point. with it. Um I mean it's spoilers here. Uh Martin does get staked by his uh his cousin Kuda. Yeah. Which I was very shocked by, to be honest. Yeah. I did it, not expect that. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, because it, it kind of resolved itself like Martin stopped killing and you know he was he was coming to terms with his adulthood and then he wakes up and gets staked yeah wow for a murder he didn't commit what the wow (laughs) because the housewife that he has a relationship with kills herself yeah in the bath and he gets staked for that so he gets killed for a murder he didn't commit yeah Shocking. The whole thing is just laced with Romero's trademark irony. Yeah. And it's delicious. It's like uh, the most murder that happens, the most death that happens in the film is actually a police shootout in the third act. Yeah, where did that come from? (laughs) Comes from nowhere. Yeah, Martin's being pursued by the police for breaking into a department store to get a change of clothes after killing somebody. And the police chase him and he leads them accidentally to some sort of drug deal going down mm, or something. something yeah some sort of loads of people layer. get shot yeah yeah it's almost like they thought oh the movie's getting a bit dull let's just put in some random <laughs> gunfight <laughs> in the middle of nowhere everyone dies and he, he runs away but i think it's the irony it's just uh this terrible situation that they're all in this town is dying the church has burned down and they're trying to raise the money to rebuild it every character like Tom Savini's character, Arthur, Mm -hmm. they're all talking about leaving. Christina's talking about leaving and Arthur is just her way out. She's not actually going to have a relationship with him. He's just her way out of the town. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to get away to something better Mm -hmm. because of just how run down and decrepit this town is Mm. and for the police to just mow down all of these people and for that to be the highest body count in the movie while Martin's scampering around the edges of it. Mm. it I don't know. It, it feels very pointed to me. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of social commentary. Um, and, and like we've touched on some of the themes, but there are a lot of themes in this movie. I felt like there were themes in terms of, yeah, female figures and male figures to Martin. Mm. So you've got the sort of the masculine bikies that seem to be frequenting the neighborhood that kind of mock him. Yeah. Like, I, I guess they're the, the symbol of, you know, pure masculinity, and he doesn't relate to that, and he, he more sort of gravitates to the, the female figures like Christina and Mrs. Santini. But then there's also this idea of control as well. So he's obviously being controlled by Cuda, but then he's trying to impart control on these victims as well, mm. drugging them and having his way with them. So, yeah, there's a lot of thematic material throughout the movie yeah about many different things it's very dense for sure it's very rich texturally as well 
just in terms of because all of its location shooting it's low budget it's mm. filming in actual buildings and actual people's homes and so on so there's nothing in terms of deliberate design it's just capturing a real social milieu at a particular time and space which kind of this many years away from it is fascinating mm. to watch and makes it possibly more interesting now than it was at the time it was released maybe mm. I would like to posit a question. Mm -hmm. Did you find it slow going? First watch, yes. Mm. Because I didn't know what to expect and I was probably expecting... More killing. <laughs> from a Romero movie, I was expecting more to be happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, first time watching it, second time watching it, I just found it kind of, I don't know, spellbinding. And actually just found the ending really abrupt. Like, oh, so he's in a parade... Yeah. I know he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I do agree that it was a bit abrupt. I found it quite slow. Mm. I, yeah. I guess I had an expectation because of Romero. Yeah. But it, it is very much an art house movie. It is very much a drama first, horror second. Yeah. There are only really three killing scenes, really. Yeah. Um, most of it is drama. Most of it is character-driven uh, character arcs. I have to be honest. I found it a little dull. Okay. Uh, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was the expectation, but I wanted more to happen. Or maybe it was also the fact that I didn't find any of the characters likable mm. at all. Like I, I felt like everyone was kind of trying to get the most out of the situation for their own sort of gain, and especially Martin. Yeah. And so I found it really hard to connect with anyone. Mm. I guess it's because I have this thing for serial killers that I settled into that groove because mm. I enjoy those types of movies. Yeah. And also just because it was such a stylistically different film, the whole texture of it, the image, mm. the soundtrack, which we should talk about. Yes. I just found it fascinating from that aspect. It's very different from other films we've done recently. Yeah. I find it contradictory in terms of my view on films because normally I'm complaining there's not enough depth. Yes. Not enough characters. There's not <laughs> enough, you know, meat uh, in terms of story and characters. But for this movie, I felt like there wasn't enough of the other stuff. Right. There wasn't enough, like, plot, I guess, or other things happening. It was just very, very, very character-driven. I don't know. I feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> like, these are all the things that I want in other movies. But for some reason, <laughs> I, I, I don't enjoy it in this movie. <laughs> yeah, what do we want, Dan? <laughs> I don't know. You're never satisfied. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you have to get the balance right, don't you? So if this didn't work because it didn't have hooks that thematically or it, it fascinated you or, or styles that fascinated you, then yeah, it is going to play as sort of a long, odd movie. And if you go into it with a certain expectation of Romero, I think you'll be surprised mm. because it's quite different, it's very different from the films he's most famous for. Let's say that yeah. because obviously I haven't seen enough of his films to, yeah. but I'm interested to now. For yeah, sure. I, I'm interested to watch more of, of his films because yeah, this movie is very, very different. I have watched The Crazies mm. and that is more in line with his zombie movies. Technically not zombies in that movie. It's like a viral infection or some disease that causes people to act violently, not turn into zombies, just be violent. Right. But that movie production-wise 
is not great. Like uh, there are sound issues, there are uh, um, props that don't look real or look, look very flimsily uh, constructed. Yeah, it's obviously a very low budget movie. It was not executed very well. Uh, I haven't seen it. I've only seen the remake, which I really liked. I really like the remake as well. I think it's one of the few remakes that's better than the original. Yeah, yeah this movie does have a lot of heart. It, it does a lot of passion. There's obviously a lot of passion and time and careful scripting, character development in this movie. Yeah, it's a sincere movie, mm, for sure. It really is. It really is. Um, it's hard to categorise, though, because... If you take all the murder out, it's actually quite an interesting coming-of-age drama. Yeah. But if you talk about just the murder, there's not much murder in this movie. No. So it would be hard to recommend this, I think. It's a tricky one, yeah, because it doesn't sit quite happily in one camp or the other. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, if you're yeah. expecting a coming-of-age movie like American Beauty. Right. It's not the movie you would watch at all because of all the incredibly gritty murder. <laughs> That mm. will shock ge- general audiences. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one to categorize, I think. It is. Now it's time for random trivia. So, Dan, what stunning piece of trivia did you overhear on a talking radio show today? <laughs> so, um, the woman who plays the housewife uh, victim. Um, so that's during that home invasion scene. Um, Sarah Vin- Vinable, Vinable, or Vin- Vinable. Um, she has only been in two other films. Uh, so one is the 1974 film called Two. And uh, the second film is Romero's zombie classic, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, she was uncredited as Leotard Zombie Hit by Sledge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> alarmingly specific credit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so yeah, that that's uh, her entire filmography, just the th- the three movies. Okay. Yeah, I know that Christine Forrest who plays Christina in the movie that's George A. Romero's wife, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. So it was her, his second wife. Uh, they met on on the set of Season of the Witch in 1973 and married in 1981. But yeah, she's yeah. she pops up in a lot of his movies, and I was I was looking through her filmography. It's like how he must really like her. Oh, he was married to her. That's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And that's our trivia. Yes. You must have some intriguing things to say about the score. Score was so weird for me. So strange. Uh, Really odd choices. And odd cues and weird moments as well. Yeah. So from what I can pick out, it's it's very small chamber group of instruments, mainly woodwind for some reason. Mm. A lot of clarinet and flute. flute Yeah. I don't know. And, And also, like, is it synth? Yes. Or some sort of very resonant keyboard instrument um, with heaps of like 70s tape echo or something on it. Yeah. So almost prog rocky at times. Yeah. Like it felt like I was <laughs> listening to, I don't know, I can't think of a prog rock band. Um, but yeah, that real <laughs> 70s psychedelic sound uh, at times. But then other times almost like, experimental jazz yeah with the woodwinds doing these weird 
almost atonal motifs. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what I think about the music. What did you think? I loved it. It took me a while to get used to. Yeah. Yeah, there's a soprano in there as well. So it's yes. by Donald Rubinstein, who is the younger brother of the film's producer, right. Richard Rubinstein. Uh, he was 24 at the time he did it. He's an avant-garde jazz musician. Ah, I see. The jazz. Yes, there you go. He's like a fully-fledged musician who doesn't mm. just work in film, if yeah. you see what I mean. So he was trying to create complete musical pieces as well as support the film. And he really enjoyed working with George because George was such a great music editor and would experiment in ways. So we'd do uh -huh. things like as the cut of the film changed and the music was too short for the scene now, he would roll the cue slowed down okay. instead and then it would become really strange. Right. And Donald really liked that sort of uh -huh. weird experimentation with it. When it was released... Much like Dawn of the Dead, Dario Argento edited a European version of the film oh, called wow. Vampire, but spelt W-A-M-P-Y-R. And okay. that was scored by Goblin, like Dawn of the Dead. Interesting. That would be a very different movie. It would. So much of the character of the movie is Donald Rubinstein's yeah. very, yeah. very strange score. Yeah. But it seems, I don't know, it feels right to me. Uh, and it, b it became quite a collector's item. Uh, Mojo magazine called it, quote, one of the 100 coolest soundtracks of all time. Yeah, it's very unique. It's not something mm. that I've ever heard before. It wasn't trying to replicate something else. No. I don't think some of the cues worked, though. Right. I don't know. Uh, there's a cue where he walks into the bathroom and finds uh, Mrs. Santini She'd committed suicide in the bath. There's blood everywhere. And it's just this little quirky, like, woodwind number that's just <laughs> totally wrong. I don't know why that's playing in that scene. It's completely wrong. It's totally wrong. And and the chase scene and the shootout with the police, there's, like, woodwind playing. Like, <laughs> what is this? Why, why am I hearing flute in a police chase scene i i don't know i'm not sure whether some of the cues worked okay well that reminded me of lalo schifrin's work for the dirty harry movies it feels very 70s to me yeah for sure. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> similarly with the, the sound design choices were quite interesting mm. um so the the first kill uh murder scene and on the train at the start which did remind me very much of terror train I don't know whether you've seen that with Jamie Lee Curtis. No. It's actually quite a good slasher movie. See it on a train. Oh. It's got David Copperfield in it for some reason. He does some magic. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do that movie. <laughs> it's, it's, a, a very, it's quite an interesting movie. Um, anyway, the, the setting very similar for the opening scene in this movie. Mm. And the scene where the murder and the rape is happening, there's no sound of the things happening. Uh, apart from the struggle, it's just the sound of the train. And that's, I thought that was a really interesting and a very unsettling choice um, sonically. Yeah, it's uh, stylistically quite a fascinating little hodgepodge. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards. 
Okay, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite candle cross vampire repelling parts of the film in a garland <laughs> of gala-confused categories. Best quote. My favourite quote in the movie comes from Martin. He has many sage words to say about people who he regards as <laughs> lesser than him. Mm. But one of the things he says... People are always going away so they can forget where they were. Mm, mm, very profound. Yeah, I like that one. I just thought it was very good because in the film, everybody is trying to get out of this town. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, uh, my favourite quote is a little bit less profound. Uh, it's when Kuda <laughs> is talking to Martin and he says, I've been told you are an imbecile. Can you speak? Speak so I can hear your voice. Speak, Nosferatu. <laughs> Best hair or costume? Well, I mean, the obvious pick would be Kuda in his all-white suit. Like, everything is white. Like, white pants, white jacket, white shirt, white tie, white shoes. He is completely yes. white. <laughs> Metaphor, I guess? Symbolism? Purity? I yeah, don't know. He is, yeah. He's a, he's a man of the church and, and uh, stands to his principles and yeah yeah right and looks like colonel sanders but yeah, there you go yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for me for hair or costume i just love the drug dealer who's shot by the police in the third act played by clayton mckinnon who's also in dawn of the dead uh-huh. as it turns out yes. and he's sporting this amazing powder blue satin suit uh-huh. with matching newsboy hat you know, with the little button on the top uh, and the pleats yeah, going yeah. up. Yeah. And this uh, black and crimson flowery shirt with an enormous collar. He's, he's just, when he goes out on his drug deals, he looks great. He's really <laughs> dressed to impress. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they look good in the 70s. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Most 70s moment. My pick for the most 70s thing in the movie is the radio call in show. Ah, um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it yes. just. Feels like uh, very prevalent in that period, certainly in movies. I'm thinking of, you know, I can think of a lot of sort of serial killers phoning DJs. <laughs> yeah, that's that right. Time. They always did that. They did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. I mean, once it got to the 90s and Frasier, then they were just calling in to solve their sort of psychological problems. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of serial killers calling. DJs in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 70s for me was the dinnerware. Holy crap, so oh. 70s. Like, uh, uh, casserole dishes, like glass cl- casserole dishes served on the table <laughs> as well. Yes. You know, like yes. chicken cooked in, in <laughs> casserole dishes and served on the table. And they, they look hideous. Um, also, the the wine glasses that had the sort of white floral patterns around the edges very very <laughs> 70s as well favorite scene i quite like the house invasion scene um it was mm. it was so unique i have i haven't really seen something like that before and um, the fact that he he creeps into this house he he finds some um universal garage door remote uh, to open the garage door and sneaks in um, and and yeah. expects to find just the the woman by herself but instead there's also she's got a man over um, and so everything yeah. goes horribly wrong but it's all very clumsy and 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 people running everywhere and and locking doors and 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 kind of tr- 
uh, trying to make phone calls, but the, pho- the she's forgetting the phone number for some reason, and then um, Martin's got the other line, so she can't actually ring through because <laughs> there's a dial tone, <laughs> and and he's kind of like pushing random numbers as well. As the whole thing, it's so bizarre to me because it's it's unsettling yeah. at the same time being incredibly comedic as well uh yeah so yeah i don't know i, f- I found it very very interesting to watch this the whole scene it's a fascinating scene yeah i think the most chilling moment in it and i've, I've read other people say the same thing uh, is uh when martin bursts into the room and the first thing that the guy who's in there says is hey let's not get excited you know there's yeah, it's not what it looks like mm. kind of thing mm. so he's obviously thinking this is like a, a friend or the husband maybe no, it can't be the husband uh, he's like 18 he's yeah he's too young yeah. but he thinks he thinks that this is a different situation and the housewife says i don't know him yeah which just completely changes like oh shit I know. <laughs> this is a different situation yeah, than i yeah, thought yeah, it yeah, was yeah 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 favorite scene for you mine is the train scene right at the beginning actually right yeah because it's kind of hitchcockian it is almost but more realistic and and sort of grungy and uncomfortable as we've talked about Mm. in a way that makes it really unsettling and in a way that reminded me of as i said christoph kislowski's a short film about killing which focuses on just how difficult and slow and unsensational mm. it, how difficult it is to take somebody's life away yeah. which whereas hitchcock tended to sort of glamorize it this is more sort of gritty and and yes realistic and awful so yeah i found that fascinating the fact that when he's doing the cleanup afterwards, the credits start coming back on again, and you just suddenly realise you're eight minutes in, and the credits are still mm, running. It's, mm, mm. I don't know. I found it fascinating that whole sequence, and yeah. a great mood setter. Most cliche moment. I'm going to go for suicide in a bathtub. Yeah, it seems to be quite a popular location. We've seen it ourselves in a couple of movies, or variations on it. So in the Andromeda Strain, we had somebody who killed themselves in a bathtub just by sort of bending over the bath and sticking their head in the water right yes which one of the characters says i didn't even know you could kill yourself that way so (laughs) yeah yeah, there's that it happens in the 90s tv version of it and also in leviathan which we've covered although in that case it's a shower but right Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Cliches for me in this movie are all uh, more, I guess, drama cliches. Um, So, you know, an outcast gets gets it on with an older woman. Uh, It happens quite a bit. Um, Sort of household dynamic of, like, a really malevolent father figure and then a caring, kind mother figure. Um, Yeah. And then also, like... All loners are murderers, it seems, you know. <laughs> you don't have any friends, so you just start murdering people. And that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I don't know. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch out for, Dan. Yeah. yeah I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Best special effect. The stake scene at the end when Martin gets staked mm. by um, Kuda. Just horrific. <laughs> And and very mm. very realistic looking and and the accompanying sound effect 
of of hitting the, the stake with the hammer just oh, traumatic to hear yeah I, yeah i mean yeah the whole scene is just incredibly shocking for me like much more shocking than the scene in um, vampire's kiss very similar yes but uh, much more shocking yes and i think lars would be more impressed with the effect because i don't think he was impressed with the effects no he wasn't no in that movie (laughs) tom savini doesn't like that effect oddly enough because he said there's a continuity error between how far the guy kuda hits the stake in yeah and then you cut to the sort of uh shot of martin with with the stake in him and it's sticking out further than Oh, it was like right, right. He pushes it in too far. Apparently, so um, he doesn't like it. Okay, it okay. bugs him. Yeah, bugs mm, him. Okay. One effect that Tom Savini is very proud of, and the one that I found the most shocking, was the branch being jabbed into that <laughs> yeah. guy's oh, neck. Awful. Yeah. Because I was not expecting that at all. No. It came out of nowhere. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, just just knowing that that branch is not very sharp as well so mm. that would be excruciating yeah Oof. it's that's not Yuck. that's not nice at all and that's it, the same so savini had to figure out how to do that and he used the same technique that he would go on to use in friday the 13th oh, on kevin bacon right right right, right. favorite sound effect the sound detail i think that i appreciated the most in this movie is when martin is calling the radio show he has the radio on in his room and you can oh, hear like yes, a the delay. three second delay. And yes. it's quite useful because because I thought surely the DJ should be saying to him, turn your bloody radio off because they always used yeah, to do that. Yeah, so yeah. you didn't get the feedback. But it's useful because it communicates that when there's an ad playing on the radio that the DJ is talking to him off air. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Which is a useful device. So it actually serves a purpose. Mm. So yeah, I really liked that detail. Just so it's more of a sound design detail than anything. Yeah, else. yeah, yeah. No, I I like that as well. Um, sound for me. One I wanted to point out was the garage door opening. I, I I'm mm. I think it's it was location sound, and I think they only had one microphone, and it's just reverberating like hell in this like tiny garage, <laughs> and it sounds so clamorous and like. It's noisy <laughs> and, and and almost like metallic it's like phasing um but yeah, yeah yeah really loud sound um that they they probably should have replaced in post but yeah it sounds great or like it yeah it does sound great. kind of and ugly. unlike anything you get in a library yeah kind yeah. of really ugly <laughs> Yeah. But in all the best ways. Most funniest moment. Well, I can go quickly because you've already mentioned it. It's the home invasion scene, which I found oddly hilarious, yeah. although uncomfortably so. Yeah. But specifically the bit where she's trying to phone the police and Martin's on the other extension just pressing random buttons. And you just hear beep, boop, 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 and she's shouting, get off the other line. Yeah, get yeah. Off the other line. Yeah. <laughs> but... What I don't understand is the buttons he's pushing. It doesn't sound like a telephone. It sounds like some sort of (laughs) sci-fi computer. (laughs) Yeah, it does. That's a bad effect. I don't know what... I mean, Why didn't they just record an actual telephone? They had them right there. Like, just record the dials on the telephone. I don't don't get it. I I don't know. I don't know. It's stupid. Yeah, it should be the dial tone. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But 
not this weird like sci-fi but it did add to the comedy though because it was so ridiculous i know i found it hilarious but uh, also disturbing but hilarious yeah. as well yeah <laughs> all right that's our boo please Hi, I'm Bernard Rose, the director of Paper House, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Hey, it's final verdict time. Should George A. Romero's Martin be set free from the Oubliette to exploit audiences worldwide and be worshipped by all, or should it be chased by a black and white Nosferatu reference mob of angry villagers back into <laughs> the darkness of the Oubliette? Never to be seen again. Conrad, this is a double blind for both of us. What's your final verdict for Martin? Well, this was a real discovery for me because I had very limited exposure to Romero, which is bad, I know, um, and only his zombie movies, really. And this is a much more thoughtful and thought-provoking film. It still has his social commentary. There's a lot in there about the Pittsburgh, about the location, um, and about the poverty and the problems that they were facing. And also, as a central character, Martin is fascinating. And I found him compelling because I have a soft spot for deviant serial killers, which <laughs> is probably a very odd thing to have a soft spot for. But I do. And yeah. I found the psychology of Martin and John Amplaz's central performance fascinating. And seeing it remastered in 4K by Second Sight Films when it's been very difficult to come by for a very long time was a real delight and the just the texture of it the bizarre way it was shot the different style of film stock that they used i found it a real eye-opener and fascinating um and i think people who maybe haven't seen many more of romero's films should definitely check it out i think you're right in saying it's not for everybody i think women will find it a very uncomfortable watch mm. uh, he, the, his crimes are brutal and unpleasant and um disturbing in a lot of ways so yeah it's not for everybody but certainly if you're uh, interested in Romero if you're interested in a serious look at a vampire in a modern set modern day setting well the 70s <laughs> but a modern yeah. setting, yes. setting then um I would say yes and I think it seeing as it's only just been unearthed and rejuvenated recently I think it would be a shame to toss it back in so I would let it go hmm all of that sounds very good on paper. I, I think theoretically yeah. this movie is very deep, it's very complex, lots of characters, uh, a, lot, a character arc, um, social commentary, just it's packed with th thematic material. Um, but for me, I thought it was very dull um, uh -huh. and a very unlikable characters, very slow going and... I don't know. I, I found the structure a bit strange. On one hand, it's a horror, it's exploitation. On the other hand, it's a it's slow moving uh, coming of age drama about a, a boy dealing with his sexuality and, um, but also vampires. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think, it's, I think this is more of a personal. Um, preference it just wasn't for me I, okay. I found it a bit boring and maybe not enough likable characters uh odd music choices and yeah end of the day 
I don't think I would recommend this movie. Oh. I think it, it's obviously a passion project and one dear to uh, Romero. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think maybe too self-indulgent for me. Oh, mm. okay. Yes. Well, that means that our patrons will have the deciding vote. Uh-huh. So, Hal? Yes, Conrad? Uh, yes, I'd like the final vote, please. I'm receiving a signal from the monolith. No, I'm not interested in the monolith. Just final vote, please. <laughs> in their infinite wisdom, our patrons voted to set the film free. Oh, Right, so they agree with you. They do, yes. So Eddie Coulter says, one of my favourite George Romero films with a unique story about the vampire. And mm. Chazilla said, I've enjoyed Martin since the VHS rental days. The way Romero filmed it makes me feel like I'm in the story with the characters. Low angles, intimate close-ups and location shots. Martin is 1970s independent filmmaking at its finest. Let it ride the train out of the oubliette in search of new fans. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I was, uh, I seem to be in the minority here. Um, so, uh, yes, let's set it free. Yes. Fly, Martin, fly. <laughs> Arthur's just my way out. Bye. It was very unique um, and, and very different from for Romero. Um, so if, if you know you want to see something a bit different, yeah, check it out. Yeah, and an interesting contrast to Vampire's Kiss. Similar thematic material here and there, mm. some similar moments, but yeah, very different, very different film. Very, very different. <laughs> uh, way less funny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not much of Martin is going to be turned into a meme. I no. Don't <laughs> I don't think any. <laughs> no. So I guess, Conrad, uh, let's reveal what we will be discussing next episode. Well, we're shifting decades and genres. We're heading into 1995 for the American science fiction fantasy drama film, Powder. Oh, okay, yes. I saw this ages ago. I don't really remember it. No, me neither. The only thing that's really familiar to me is the score because, surprise, surprise, <laughs> it's Jerry Goldsmith. Ah, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. So I know the score really well, but I've only seen the movie once. All I remember is the Sean Patrick Flannery, the kid that was in the young Indiana Jones, is a bald albino. Mm. And he's magical. That's about all I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think all I can picture is his shirt off and him being very white. Yes. Or yes. is that just a poster? <laughs> I can't remember. No, no, you're absolutely right. In fact, I do remember there's a scene where he's stripped naked by bullies. Yeah. Right. Let's see if that's just the Mandela effect or if that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keen to check it out. Mm, yeah, it should be interesting. Yes. And if you want to uh, keep up to date with all of our episodes, when Powder comes out, uh, you can follow us on our, all our socials. Uh, we are Movie Oubliette everywhere. And our email address is movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate films for future episodes and download extended portions of the show for $5. You can vote on the final verdict like uh, our patrons mm, did today, yes. in fact, affecting the final outcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And get access to our exclusive monthly minisodes where we talk about all sorts of things like 
new films even. Mm. And for $10, you can be an executive producer and get behind-the-scenes info, like our current executive producers, Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, and new this month, Dr. Doggy. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you. We have merchandise available at Redbubble and also a YouTube channel as well, um, Mm. where we uh, have some video essays about many different things. Yes, and some panels from Iconicon, if you want to see oh, yes, of course, interviewing yes. people from that. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Thanks again, listeners, for joining us on another episode. A double vampire, vampire episode, I guess. <laughs> yes. No vampires next time. <laughs> yes, yes. Stay tuned for our powder episode. Goodbye. Bye. We review the films others tend to forget. Vampire! First, I will save your soul. Then, I will destroy you. I will show you your room. <laughs>